eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one star hosts talk about five, four, and three star prospects and everything in between. I'm your one star host, Chris 10K Trevino, and I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard. Hurricane Martinez. Now, Gerard, this is supposed to be his sort of vacation off week where he's taking a step back, just recharging, because I put him through a lot here on the two-star podcast and uscpeople.com. But I told him, Gerard, if there's a commitment, if there's a commitment going down this week, I got to bring you in. I got to bring you off a vacation for a couple of hours, and I got to get you in here. Uh, And that ended up happening, so I'm sorry, Gerard. I had to interrupt your little uh, staycation, your little break uh, from USC football coverage. Is that how vacations work? I don't think that's how vacations work. That is absolutely not how vacations work. <laughs> I'm on a, I'm on, I'm on my annual staycation where I just right. don't post on the board ten hours every day and <laughs> and put up stories every day. It's just a, like a, you know, not really paying attention as much to the site is a vacation for me. So. Um, I'm happy to be here. It's not as much work for me as it is for Chris. So me coming in here and rambling on, uh, for, uh, you know, X amount of hours is uh, not as much work, uh, especially if we have Wi-Fi issues and technical issues, cause that is usually where the editing comes in. So, um, you know, hopefully this is a, a clean one and uh, Chris is able to get in and out of the studio and, uh, it's just me, uh, tempting fate with my voice. Well, there you go. You heard it from here. The man wanted to come in and perform for you guys, all of our uh, loyal listeners, all our Peristyle members, all our even the filthy casuals that uh, Gerard likes to uh, uh, deem them as that all these people that listen to our show. Thank you so much. But we got some good news to talk about. And like I said, if there was no commitment. There was not going to be a hurricane forecast. But since USC did pick up a pretty big one. As you may know, or if you're not aware, USC did pick up another offensive line commit, uh, four-star 24-7 sports rated uh, interior offensive lineman Micah Banuelos out of uh, Kennedy Catholic out there in Washington, Uh, six foot two and a half, 290 pounds. He's probably closer to 300 at this point. Like I said, he's a four-star prospect in our 24-7 sports rankings, the number 13 interior offensive line number four prospect in Washington. When he committed on Monday, 
He was actually ranked in around the 800 range in the 24-7 sports composite. But looking at it today, he's actually received a pretty significant bump in the composite uh, rankings. It looks like they uh, they recalculated, re-averaged. Someone bumped him up somewhere because he is now the number 537 overall prospect and number 37 interior offensive lineman. Again, this is the third Offensive line commit for the 2023 class. Micah was part of that big mega recruiting weekend where they brought in several uh, offensive linemen. Uh, we're going to get a little bit more in depth into the overall look of the class today and specifically the offensive line. But Micah, you know, interior line prospect, I think he's more projected as to be Josh Henson's future center for the offensive line. Plays left tackle uh, out there at Kennedy Catholic. He is not a left tackle, but he is he's uh he's big he's mean and his highlights are fun to watch he also plays defensive tackle uh for that defensive line and you know this was a guy who was supposed to make a commitment on july 4th and as a lot of usc fans know july 4th was not very kind to usc fans with several commitments on tap but none of them went the trojans way including five-star offensive tackle francis Maoyoga. but micah at the last second decided to flip that commitment down push it back to the 25th on monday and Oregon had all that momentum going into that July 4th uh, commitment date. So that was actually a really good sign for the Trojans. Despite it being, you know, not a great day recruiting-wise, that was sort of a silver lining and a cloudy uh, hurricane forecast day with all those clouds with, with not a lot of recruiting wins. So him pushing it back was actually a great sign for the Trojans. You know, more time. USC, uh, Oregon, excuse me, had the two crystal balls in for him, but those ended up not holding. And this was a close one, Gerard. This was, you know, we were told probably 50-50 going in. So this is a this is a win for this uh, Josh Henson and Lincoln Riley and this recruiting staff. Yeah, within context, it's it's a pretty big win because USC has uh, traditionally almost here in the last uh, few years had a very difficult time getting away offensive linemen away from Oregon. Now, obviously, Mario Cristobal is not the head coach at Oregon anymore. But nevertheless, they still lost Josh Connerly Jr. And so, you know, there was a, a little bit of a sort of dark cloud, it seemed, hanging over the possibility of being able to get an offensive lineman over Oregon. Didn't, re- didn't matter, you know, what class, didn't matter what position. It just seemed like USC was going to lose out by default. And this being kind of 50-50, and honestly, we never really got the feel that Micah Benuelos was was uh, uh, really favoring USC at any one yeah. point. Mm-hmm. It seemed like he really enjoyed his official visit. I mean, we've said that about a bunch of guys that have already committed elsewhere. Uh, it seemed like Josh Connerly Jr., the way that recruitment was going, USC had a, a pretty good lead at one point. And so, yeah, you really didn't necessarily put a whole lot of chips. Um, Benuelos committing to USC over Oregon with it being close, but a coin went their way. And, and it's interesting that he held off on making a decision until now. And and now seems to be where USC's actually building some momentum. You get Tackett Curtis, which was another one that, you know, I mean, do you bet on it? Chris Trevino does because he's got a great source and he's confident and he's brazen and he's going to make that 95% forecast. But uh, <laughs> most of us that are rational and sane and, and look at uh, what's happening and, and sort of that, uh, okay, Ohio State versus USC, USC doesn't have a lot of momentum. Uh, you know, you picked Tackett Kurtz to go to Ohio State, uh, but it didn't work out that way. So, I mean, this is two commitments in a row now that USC, you know, I mean, they were definitely in it. But in terms of the way things were going 
and um, kind of taking a step back and, and trying to see the trajectory of the class, you would have probably picked against USC in both uh, in both instances, and, and they get two commitments. So, yeah, uh, Michael Benuelos was big. It, it was also big because, you know, they need this interior player, potentially a center in this class, and yeah. they really – you know, only offered one other player in the class that could fit the mold. So we're going to see, you know, how it happens if it, if it breaks down that way. And, um, you know, he doesn't have any film as a center, but that is uh, something that you don't see very often at the high school level. Um, a lot of these guys are playing either guard or they're playing tackle. And as you mentioned, Benuelos playing offensive tackle is nice because you get to see his athleticism out there on an island a little more. Uh, you get to see a lot of movement from him. He he pulls uh, from his uh, tackle position in high school. He also plays uh, some defensive line, which is good. You want to be able to see uh, him just play all over the field. And that's why he's, you know, a, a four-star composite ranking um, offensive lineman, which, you know, interior offensive linemen, particularly if you're looking at centers, they're usually not ranked that high. It's very, very rare you see yeah. a guy like uh, uh, a Jeff Byers um, that's uh, that's that's a, a player out of high school that's projected to be a center prospect getting that much love it just very very rarely happens most of the time centers just by default are going to be ranked uh, a little lower down um i think some of it has to do with just physically you're looking at a player that doesn't play the marquee position um of tackle and so interior linemen just in general sort of get ranked down it's hard even for guards to be able to get ranked higher. I personally think there's a little bit of a flaw in the thinking, though, that centers are not more important than guards. If you are actually projecting someone to play center out of high school, that is an important position to play. Um, there's no other position on the field other than quarterback that touches the ball every down. And I've seen what happens when you have center snap issues, whether it be out of the shotgun. Oh, yeah. Or Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the love of everybody's life is a center that snaps the ball over the quarterback's head two or three times a game. Yeah. I mean, that can totally turn the game upside down. And so you need to be able to have a guy that can play that position also has the cerebral aspect of the game to be able to make those calls. He is kind of the quarterback of the offensive line. So center is a, a very important position. And we've even seen that in the NFL where guys have gotten some pretty nice contracts. Uh, that are elite centers. Now, again, that's that's sort of the elite guys. But nevertheless, I think centers sometimes does get uh, kind of get the shaft a little bit in the rankings when, you know, it's it's not a position. I mean, listen, I think all positions, you know, you can argue one way or the other is are, are important. Um, but certainly there are positions that are sort of stress points for your team, whether it be on defense or offense. And I think center is definitely one of those positions. So um, nevertheless, you know, a four-star composite ranking uh, offensive lineman, again, at a, at a position that USC obviously was, uh, you know, they, they had a couple guys um, kind of in the crosshairs and, and they got one of them. And uh, now they don't have to sort of transition and go look for uh, another player at that position. And I think that's uh, very important for them too. So, you know, USC building a little momentum here as we're at the, the end of uh, July, going into August and, and there's still some other guys out there um, from, you know, that big recruiting weekend and, and those official visits over the summer uh, that have yet to make decisions. You're right. Centers do not get a lot of love and he would be, and obviously he is not 
uh, tabbed as a center in the rankings, just straight interior offensive lineman. And we still have the center uh, tabulation in our in our system. And the last center that USC did sign was Justin Dietrich, who is now playing right guard or is projected to be the starting right guard uh, for this team next season. He was actually kind of highly rated. He was right there in the outside of the top 100 at number 110 in the composite. So, yeah, this is our the first true kind of center guy that they're bringing in since Justin Dietrich, even though he's not uh, qualified as a quantified. Sorry, no, he is not designated as a center. Sorry, that's what I meant. And they kind of have kind of similar body types, you know, coming out of high school, six foot two, 290 pounds. Justin Dietrich played more center in high school, but he also played literally every position on the offensive line. There was a game where he played every position in the single game, you know, left tackle, both guards, right right tackle, and center. So that's sort of kind of the athleticism that I see with that. And obviously Justin Dietrich has proven to be versatile, and he's sort of playing a guard spot right now after being a backup at center for so many seasons. And Landon Hatchett is the other center kind of prospect that Josh Henson had identified in this class. He ended up taking an official visit midweek, but he had sort of drifted towards Washington by the end and ended up committing there. So felt like Micah and Landon, one of those guys was going to be the guy for this class in terms of the center prospect. And Micah's com- recruitment was always interesting because I remember, because you, you had mentioned that you never really felt like Micah was like ever really leaning towards USC throughout this process, even after the visit or anything like that. And I had talked to him really early in the process after Henson had arrived at USC and I did an interview with him uh, over text, I believe. And after his unofficial visit, and we kind of talked about, you know, Josh Henson and that relationship, you know, Henson being the guy who offered him or one of the first offers for him out of Texas A&M. And I really got the feeling that USC was going to be a major factor in his recruitment. But then after that, it's sort of you didn't really hear about the Trojans with Micah after that, after we did that interview. And then he sort of popped right back on board when he was slated for that big recruiting weekend. And then that's kind of where it picked back up. But you always felt kind of like Oregon was the team to beat. And then this is just another example of USC now has, as you mentioned, closed with their last two commitments, Taka Curtis and Micah Benuelos. And I know we've been sort of critical at times with this new staff in terms of being able to close out um, some recruitments. And they're going to have to close out more down the stretch where we get into December and during the season. But this is a nice sign. You know, this is a nice uh, change for them, a nice uh, progression in closing out prospects. I know they're not what you would consider, you know, Francis Mauioga or Josh Connerly, you know, number one overall type players. But these are two guys that were higher on their board and two guys at a position of need that they closed out for. So I, I would imagine USC fans are feeling, you know, a lot better about, this staff moving forward in terms of closing the deals with guys that they need on their board. Well, with Tacky Curtis, I think that's a huge get, you know, I think uh, that's a little different in terms of uh, not just need, but I mean, in terms of the player that you see on film, there's a lot of flash there. You know, there's a lot of stuff to get people excited about the way he plays and the potential impact he can make. But as we just talked about, you know, center is low key underappreciated and, you know, Benuelos again, being able to get one of your top two guys and not having to pivot 
and start offering more guys is, is a big deal. You know, um, they obviously earmarked Benuelos very early on and liked him very early on. Um, I think there was a relationship there with Josh Henson when he was at AM, and that sort of carried over and probably was one of the reasons why AM continued to be a school that Benuelos uh, it considered. And he actually, for time being, there were some people predicting that he might end up at Texas A&M, which yeah. is kind of out of left field. But Texas A&M got a couple of Washington guys uh, in the last cycle and had some success getting some guys on campus for visits from Washington. So uh, it wasn't completely out of um, the realm of possibility that Benuelos actually ended up at Texas A&M. And then we got later into the spring into May evaluations and then sort of like, you know, came Oregon, became Oregon. That official visit that he uh, scheduled for USC, he was one of the last ones to announce that he was going to officially visit USC on uh, that big official visit weekend. And so, yeah, it was sort of seemed like USC was uh, not necessarily an afterthought because at that point, you know, you're talking, okay, you know, the the, the only couple schools here he's going to take visits to over the summer. So, you know, those schools have to be considered uh, somewhat uh, in, in the race for his commitment. Uh, but definitely seemed always behind some other school in the conversation, um, which is, you know, not unlike some of the other players, but certainly uh, it just didn't seem like USC was the school to beat at any time. You know, he really liked uh, his official visit. um, Didn't get a sense. He was even an emoji guy, interestingly enough, uh, but was a guy that, you know, really liked the visit, but we knew, okay, but he's got that Oregon visit. And that was the thing, you know, Oregon's going to be the last visit. Oregon's get the last word. It's an offensive lineman. So you can understand uh, the the kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the the trepidation and hesitation to say that, you know, USC was was really going to be seriously going to get his commitment. So, you know, it, it definitely worked out. Uh, USC gets some momentum. Um, they get to continue to build on to the offensive line class. Um, I think it does help with some other uh, recruitments. Um, certainly you know, with Alani Noah, who's still out there, mm-hmm. uh, the big guard from Sacramento uh, that, you know, now that's the situation where USC did seem to have a lead. Um, and, you know, I feel like as a guy coming out of that unofficial visit or excuse me, that official visit weekend is probably a guy that you could, could say, okay, that, that, that could be maybe a sign of commitment there. Um, but, you know, we've emoji guy. Seen, Are you saying emoji guy? Maybe. Yeah. It might, might be an emoji guy there. Um, but we've seen the emojis go elsewhere, too. So, you know, I, I hesitate to put too much uh, into that. But, um, you know, certainly it's one of those things. Again, you know, Benuelos is a guy that we would have probably say, OK, um, going into the summer, he's going to, to Oregon. And uh, Alani Noah, you know, probably a guy I think he was on our list when we looked at all the visitors, guys that we could see committing over the summer to USC he was, he was in there. Um, so he was not a traction guy. He was not a, we're not really sure where USC sits with him right now. Guy. He was a guy that was like, yeah, USC can close the deal with Alani Noah. So, um, that's, that would be big to, to get him. And, and again, to continue to sort of, uh, bring together the offensive line as much as possible. Um, you're still looking for that franchise left tackle. You know, you're still looking for that guy that can play that position and, and, and be a, a big impact player for you. Um, but you know what? There's, there's still a lot of time in the year, and I, it's interesting to see. You know, there's there's definitely some things happening in the background, um, and um, you know, I think you know to some extent you get the feeling that maybe you know USC is also sort of learning 
you know, how, how recruiting is going right now. Also, uh, I think, you know, I, I mentioned this before, there's been recruitments where schools have lost out on guys um, and then they went on a little bit of a run and everybody talks about NIL and they talk about um, um, the, the, the collectives and, and that whole aspect, that sort of variable that exists in recruiting nowadays. And that's something that, you know, the schools themselves have to sort of learn and, and have to kind of figure out. It's, it's definitely very fluid and it's evolving. And so, you know, maybe USC is kind of figuring out they're bringing a boulevard out and um, sort of establishing um, the NLI, NLI a little more with uh, the recruitments and, and the communication with guys. Um, you know, that's just speculation on my part, but that, that we've seen that, you know, kind of that sort of tug of war with schools and, um, you know, a school like Oregon missing out on some guys. And then all of a sudden they seem to figure it out real yeah. quick. So, uh, you know, maybe that's, that's part of it as well. We're obviously going to see that uh, because there's, still some pretty big targets out there that USC has to close with in order to uh, to make this class uh, the level class that I know Lincoln Riley wants it to be. And the words of Billy Bean, adapt or die. Um, and you mentioned a lot, you know, that is someone Micah specifically said he was going to go after by name. Look, that's the guy I'm going to get for this class. And now it becomes like a nice little two-headed combo for Josh Henson because uh, Amos Talalele, who was also on that official visit weekend, you know, he's committed as well. And those guys, you know, seem like uh, very close with all their pictures. It was them. Uh, it was Micah, Alani, and Amos all taking pictures together. And that's probably your future interior right there. If you if you get Alani, uh, that's your two guards and uh, uh, Micah in the middle. So now he's probably going to have another person texting him about this. And now it's a two-headed attack. And the other big one that was in uh, Brandon Huffman's article, you should go check that out, the commitment story, uh, is that uh, Micah is going to recruit his, uh, quote, brother, uh, Isendra uh, Afua. Did I say that? Do you think that's close? What do you think? Yeah, Asendra uh, uh, Afua. Yeah, 2024 interior offensive lineman, six foot five, 330. He's a big, big boy. Uh, number 30 overall prospect, number one interior offensive lineman, number one uh, prospect out of Washington in that cycle, number 21 overall in the 24-7 sports rankings. He's a five-star in the composite. As you know, 24-7 does not give five stars that early, but he is firmly in five-star range. So, As an interior a, lineman. As, as an, an interior lineman. We just talked about like, it. Yeah. Uh, that's a little bit of an eyebrow raiser because, yeah, we were just talking about it. And, you know, guards are – you know, I mean, if you had to sort of uh, prioritize in terms of uh, importance, um, you're probably looking at guards being uh, the lesser of, uh, you know, the off tackles. They're probably not as sexy tackles. as tackles, baby. They're not as yeah. sexy as tackles. Well, you know, you want to, you know, hopefully uh, keep your quarterback upright and people feel like uh, blindside is, is where you got to look first. So you get your left tackle, then you get your right tackle. Although, Again, I would. I know there's some offensive line coaches that might argue their center is more important than their right tackle. It depends, I guess, on your scheme and sort yeah. of what you want to do. Is your quarterback right-handed, left-handed? Obviously, that's a big deal because if you're, you know, kind of neglecting your uh, your right tackle, then all of a sudden you've got a lefty as a quarterback. Uh, things get uh, real, real, real serious real quickly uh, about who you're putting at right tackle. But nevertheless, yeah, guard tends to be um, a little lower in terms of, uh, I think, just pass protection and and what you're seeing from um the the defensive line maybe interior i don't know i i mean again you could argue 
listen, if you've got a three technique there and the guy is an All-American, he's a Leonard Williams type, you better hope to God that you have a good pass, uh, a pass pro from your guards, yeah. right? You, you've got to hope that those guys can, can handle that. You're probably going to double team them with the center, obviously. And that is sort of what comes in to play when it comes to pass protection. And those guys tend to be able to get double teams. You know, you're not going to have as many defensive linemen pass rushing right up the middle as you're usually going to have offensive linemen. So that's why you tend to go, okay, well, I'm always going to have a little bit of help with my guard. He's playing in a little bit of a phone booth. It's a little harder to get open. You know, if you're out there in no man's land playing left tackle, I, I mean, you don't know what you're going to get. You could get a guy playing a nine technique as a defensive end. You could get him right over you. You could get a blitz off the court. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of stunts out there that they have to worry about. Not quite as serious uh, on the interior when it comes to that. You can still get some twist stunts, but, you know, it's not a lot of one-on-one. It's not a lot of out on the island. So, yeah, to see a guy uh, get five stars uh, as an interior uh, offensive lineman is is, is kind of rare. It's, it's, it's interesting. And I haven't talked to Brandon much about um, Afua just to, you know, kind of, you know, why, how, why is he ranked so high and, and, you know, what is it about him that makes him stand out so much? Um, but that is something that is notable this early on to have five stars and be an interior offensive lineman. And, um, you know, is he slated to play potentially guard at the next level? He's big, 6'5", 330. That's a little big for a guard. You usually want your guards to be a little quicker. But, you know, some of it also has to do with long arms. And, you know, that's something that uh, coaches like to see with centers a lot because you're kind of, you know, you're hiking the ball and then you kind of got to get your arms out there for a potential blitz right up the middle. And um, you don't want a little stubby uh, uh, center prospect. You know, that's something that you have to kind of consider as well. Uh, good footwork, etc. There's a lot that goes into playing that position. So um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, inevitably where he's recruited by most schools, if anybody's actually looking at him to play center. I mean, the last center that I can remember USC having that people didn't really think was going to play center and it kind of surprised them was probably Chris O'Dowd. Um, you know, he was looked at as a, as a tackle and then a guard and he had the size to play off to tackle. He was a legitimate six, five and he was, you know, 300 pounds and he was just a big boy, but people thought, okay, you know, athletically, they probably want to put him inside. And, um, and he ended up playing center, which was not really anybody, nobody really projected him in that. And he was a five-star coming out of high school. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see what happens with Afua. And, and, you know, where uh, he ends up projecting uh, for 2024, but definitely very rare air to be uh, ranked as a five-star this early on as an interior offensive lineman. And I, I would assume USC will take any help they can get that helping Micah in recruiting uh, Afua. Uh, Afua, yeah, I said that right. Uh, just any help in terms of getting him because, you know, as, as we know, USC has struggled to get those number one overall prospects out of Washington over the last couple cycles. And 2024 is shaping up to be a really good offensive line class on the West Coast uh, between Afua, Brandon Baker, DeAndre Carter. You know, if USC fan, if USC, if USC's class had all three of those guys, I don't think there, there'd be a USC fan out there that wasn't ecstatic with that, with that haul in 2024. Uh, but we're going to shift a little bit back now to the 2023 class and the offensive lineman that USC has as we kind of look at an entire snapshot of uh, the clash right now. You're up to 13 prospects. And by the way, I'm feeling great, Gerard, about my 16 commit uh, projection by the time the season opener. How are you feeling with your 20? 
<laughs> with my 20. I thought I backed it down to 18. <laughs> That's right. You, you did back it down to 18, uh, but you lose a little bit of credit because you had to adjust. Uh, I do. Slightly. I did. I did. I, 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 you know, I mean, between uh, Taka Curtis and uh, and that projection of uh, 20, I mean, I'm going to just have to I'm just going to have to call it quits here uh, soon <laughs> on the yeah, on the recruiting trail. I just I'm losing it. Um yeah, uh, how am I feeling about that? Uh, 13, number 13 overall, number one in the Pac-12. How how you feel about that total? Man, I, not not terribly optimistic, you know? Um, it's really hard to gauge um, what, what USC is going to get. And, and what, again, they're getting commitments here from some guys that you kind of didn't expect. And then some of the guys we did expect – um, maybe even guys that told us they were coming <laughs> ended up at other schools. Right. So, yeah, it's it's definitely not been an easy read from that standpoint. And you, I mean, it kind of end up in this spot where you're like, you know, we don't really know. Um, from a prediction standpoint, of uh, you know what USC can really do. Uh, again, we talked about this going into the summer with Tackett Curtis. He was sort of like a, a ceiling, you know, of like, okay, if they're able to get Tack Curtis, yeah. this could be an epic kind of class because he was really going to be difficult to get. That was that was one you're going to have to work for. Some of these other kids that visited, you kind of thought, okay, you know, USC on paper is like, man, they get a good visit. You know, this is a guy that USC can close with. And then, you know, they end up going elsewhere. But, you know, it, it is one of those things that – um you know, maybe USC is not completely done with with all these guys and, and the commitments that we've seen go elsewhere. Um, it, it's it's traditionally been difficult to get a lot of flips uh, after, you know, this this early signing period came in uh, to being in existence and sort of pushed everybody to make a bunch of commitments early in the season. And and USC certainly you know, from our perspective has been on the bad end of that as well. So it's something that, you know, we haven't necessarily seen a strong USC be able to kind of turn the tide during the season with their gameplay. So that's, that's something that is, it, I mean, we just haven't seen since really Pete Carroll, quite frankly. Um, there was one year there where Lane had a good year uh, and, and they were able to capitalize on that more so with the next class where they got 18 commitments before the start of the season or number one in the nation in 2012 in the recruiting class rankings. And there was nobody that could catch them. Statistically, nobody could catch USC at that point. That was wild. And that class completely fell apart because they ended up going, um, what was it? Seven, five and seven, seven and six. I can't even remember. They were, they ended up in the Sun Bowl. Yeah. They, they were, I think seven and five or seven and six. They ended up that season, ended up in the Sun Bowl and then lost to Georgia Tech. And I and and I, we talked about this before, but we were down there at the Army All American game. It was the Army All American game at that point, and you had Jalen Ramsey. You had, um, you know, I, I think uh, Eddie Vanderdose had already decommitted, but was still kind of considering USC. There was like all these guys that were committed to USC. They had like I don't know a dozen, fifteen guys uh, that were committed in the class. Uh, Sue Cravens was a part of that class. Chris Hawkins was a part of that class. And they're coming uh, back to the hotel from practice. And it's like, you know, the, some of the guys that weren't committed to USC that were like committed to other schools are like, hey, y'all are losing to Georgia yuck right now. And it was just it was just uncomfortable. 
And you could see these guys like the peer pressure of we're committed to USC and they're literally embarrassing themselves in the Sun Bowl against Georgia Tech. And that was it. That was really, you know, the class just was completely falling apart at the seams at that point. And so, you know, we have not been seen where USC has been on the other end of that in a long time. And so you go back to that photo of the offensive line and it's like, okay, Francis Malagoa, he goes to Miami. You know, if you get all those guys and, and listen, you're able to get Alani, Noah, that sort of that, again, we're talking about like a complete pivot here, changes the whole talk about, well, luau's and, and, and the official visit weekend and what went wrong. And, and, you know, and I understand, you know, everybody sort of wants to dissect it immediately after because they don't get the commitments right away. But that's why we've kind of taken a step back and let this sort of play out a little bit before we get into talking about, okay, was that a, a success or was that a failure initially with that big weekend and the strategy of bringing in that many kids? You got to let it play out to some extent. I mean, we only have to wait during the summer. It's right. not like we have to wait the whole year, although, you know, technically we we probably should because, again, if USC is able to have a really good season, you're able to potentially make a couple flips. And, you, and again, you don't have to make, you know, 10 guys flip their commitments. You get three or four guys, two or three guys potentially, and it could be such a big difference going down the stretch in the class. So. The, the, the interesting thing to watch is going to be when we come out of summer, what are the new scholarship offers that USC gives, right? Yeah. That's always the thing because what we saw with uh, Banuelos and Hatchet is USC really didn't make any big moves to go after any other guys that were potential center prospects. So they clearly had a read and clearly had all their chips on. We're going to get one of these guys, right? So with the offensive tackles, that's sort of where we're going to have to see, okay, what's the movement there? Is there somebody that they already have offered a scholarship to that they still feel like they have an ability to get, whether he's committed or not committed? And at this point, most of these guys are committed. And so that's going to be the interesting thing to see is sort of, you know, what what's the next move and what's the reaction to what's gone on over the summer? And does USC just kind of say, you know what? Some guys committed elsewhere, we're going to stay on them. And we feel like we're going to have the ability to flip their commitments down the line. So, you know, we're, we're just going to take a st- step back and just kind of watch how this um, develops uh, over the next few months. Right. And obviously, you could look at that for a lot of positions, but obviously offensive line is, is just the key one. You're going to see, is USC going to uh, put the pressure on a guy like Caleb Lomu, who they, who they offered uh, a couple months ago? Are they going to re-engage and maybe turn up the heat a little bit more for a guy like Spencer Fano, who took an unofficial visit, but, you know, there was no post about a re-offer? You know, he could actually have just gotten the re-offer and just not posted it. Are we going to see him, you know, get 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 the get the moves on them by the staff and Josh Henson and just see where it goes from there? And like you said, are we going to see some some other offers or are they going to start targeting some guys that are already committed to other other places and maybe try to play for that flip, especially if they, you know, they start the let's say they start the season six and zero, you know, going into that Utah game or something like that. They could, you know, maybe be feeling themselves a little bit and they start going after some guys that are committed elsewhere that are struggling through the first half of the season. So there's a whole litany of options that USC can kind of run with 
not a ton of options because, as we mentioned, you know, a lot of guys are secured and locked up at this point. But things are going to open. Things are going to change throughout the course of fall. And it, a lot is it's going to tell us a lot about how USC is playing through that first half of the season. If they're 6-0 and going to Utah, great. That, that, that looks great for them. Their, their potential flip of Lucas Simmons is probably in a good spot, especially if Florida State is struggling through those first six games. Maybe they're able to to go after some more national guys with that record and you know climbing the rankings. So all that is going to be interesting to watch as we move into real football. You know the, the product on the field and USC is going to be able to recruit based off what they're doing on the field as opposed to faith. Um, and just r- r- a quick run through of the class. Like I said, 13 commits, number 13 overall, uh, number one in the Pac-12, which they've held for feels like since Lincoln really came aboard. Uh, yeah, Malachi Nelson, the quarterback, Zachariah Branch, your two consensus five-star prospects. Uh, Makai Lemon uh, as your athlete, other wide receiver. Tackett Curtis, your war daddy, uh, defensive uh, commit right now. Braxton Myers, Quentin Joyner. That rounds out your top 247 uh, four-star prospect group. You have uh, a Marion Peterson running back out of Texas who is your other four-star prospect. Uh, and then you round out with some intriguing three-star guys, Christian Pierce, Local safety, six foot two, Grant Bucky, Liberty defensive uh, lineman out of Bakersfield. And then you have the makeup of your offensive line class Amos Talalele, uh, Micah Banuelos, uh, Tobias Raymond, and then obviously Cade Eldridge, the athlete prospect out of Washington, who kind of sets the foundation for your potential dynamic uh, tight end class. With And we believe, you know, USC needs to get multiple guys. Obviously, Deuce Robinson's still on the board. Walker Lyons went and committed to Stanford. So we could also see maybe a new tight end offer go out uh, uh, during this fall and then maybe the close out the summer. But, you know, right now, just looking at it, Gerard, I think that's it's obviously USC would like to be sort of in a better position when you're talking offensive linemen. You know, if you had a Lucas Simmons in there, amazing. If you had a Francis Maoyoga, fans would be going ecstatic by the look of this class. But by the time August ends, this could be firmly in the top 10, especially if a guy like Mateo uh, jumps on board. Because right now, looking at it, you're still really weak at that defensive line class. Uh, Grant Bucky, great foundational piece, but you need a little bit more. You need some more bodies to fill out that. And Mateo obviously would do a, a, go a long way to helping that. Your running backs are solid. I'm actually surprised there's not more defensive backs. Uh, I think that's just a product of what we've seen from Dante you know, who, who tends to pick up a lot of commitments. And I think a part of that was probably in the in past classes. As other uh, assistant coaches struggled to bring in commitments during the summer, Dante was like, well, if you're not going to bring anyone, I'm just going to gobble up all these spots and, and bring up as many guys as I can. Uh, so I'm actually surprised there's only really two defensive back commitments at this point. And uh, obviously you have your big uh, your big guys, your big three, which is Malachi Nelson, Zachariah Branch, and I would say Tackett Curtis in there as well. And, yeah, I think it's a, a really good foundation for based off what USC went through at 4-8. and eight. And I think it's a testament to all the work that the staff has put in and Lincoln Riley has put in since they got there. And USC fans should not uh, be disappointed about where they stand right now going into August. And it could look even better in about another month. Uh, depending on where where things stand. So, Gerard, do you have any sort of overall feelings just looking at this class? No, I don't. Uh, we're Fair in enough. A, we're, All right, moving yeah, on. <laughs> we're in a, like a, a, a sort of a – I feel like we're in a little bit of a limbo state, you know, where 
again, some of the guys that you felt like, ah, you know, USC might not be able to get those guys. They've gotten those guys, but then some of the guys that, that seem to have um, locked in <laughs> ended up elsewhere. So it's one of those things where we're looking on the horizon as to, you know, what 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 does the class look like when you're coming out of the summer? You know, what's the sort of the foundation of the class? And it's still a little hard to to know what it's going to look like. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, like you said, you know, they'll, they'll be easily. Um, I think in the top 10, if they were able to get Mateo Ngulele, uh committed before the start of summer, I don't know that that's going to happen. You know, he, yeah. he's always been a little bit of a, a wild card in terms of, you know, when he makes his decision. Um, I think that, you know, Benuelos and if they're able to get Alani Noah, I think that continues to help um, in that regard. You, you, you sort of see um, a positive trajectory there. Uh, Momentum, baby. Momentum. Big Dave. Big Dave. And uh, and Micah's family were were were, uh, were very close during the visits. Um, you know, you, you you again, you're trying to kind of look for some patterns as to you know wh- where things might be going. Um, so that that would probably be a positive development, I would say, for Mateo Ungolale. Again, a lot of this has to do with also kind of taking a step back and seeing the 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 moves that USC has made um, off of. Uh, some of these guys that uh, they look like they lead for. And, you know, with Mateo from day one, we've seen USC sort of cool on some pretty good players on the edge, you know, some pretty good players that would play um, that position and not really go hard after some of these guys. And so that tells you the confidence that they have in landing Mateo and And there's, and, and I mean, I can just say from, the perspective of USC, there's a ton of confidence there. Like there's a lot, probably more confidence than there should be, but <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of confidence there. So I, and I, and I'm sure, you know, that Oregon feels good about them. And then we've heard some stuff, you know, Ohio state feels good about them. So it's that, it's that sort of typical thing and, and a high level recruitment that you're going to have two or three schools in that recruitment that feel pretty good um, about that particular prospect. Um, you know, we saw that with Tackett Curtis. I mean, Ohio State, they thought they were getting them for sure. Like their coaching staff thought for sure they were getting Tackett Curtis. Wisconsin actually had some confidence there. There were some people saying, oh, Wisconsin's right there with everybody. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where the read of it, it, it is part of the process. And it's part of, you know, those aspects of recruiting that make you a good recruiting staff is being able to sort of read um, because that affects your board and it affects do we need to stop here and we're spinning our wheels? We need to push in another direction. Um, or can we continue to be relentless and just, and, and we're going to, you know, we're going to stick with, you know, Lucas Simmons, or we're going to stick with uh, Francis Mongo. We're going to stick with some guy who's committed elsewhere, even though he's gone elsewhere, we're going to stay on it because we think we are at the end of the day are going to be able to get him. I, you know, that's a big part of the recruiting process. And so, um, I think um, there's just going to be some big fish out there that are going to shape this class. You know, right now, the, I feel like the shape of the class right now is is pretty much the same as it was um, coming into summer in terms of, you know, you've got Malachi Nelson, you know, big time quarterback, five star, the future of your football program. You got Zachariah Branch, you know, number one uh, receiver in the nation that's sort of the skill end is sort of the what people are going to recognize the class from that's sort of 
what identifies the class. I think Taka Curtis is obviously the biggest get during the summer. That's the guy right now. It's the face of the defense for the class. What we have to see is who's the face of the interior. Who's the face of the line? Who's the face of sort of really bringing balance to this class? That's what we wanted to know coming out of the summer. What was going to be the balance of the class opposite of the skill positions? Because everybody felt pretty confident about the skill positions, um, that Lincoln Riley can, can recruit the skill positions well. He's already recruited the skill positions well. You know, how do you balance that with the linemen? And we don't know yet. We're seeing this kind of get put together a little bit. You know, again, Benuelos. Uh, is a big time get for USC. Um, it, it's it's good for them to get linemen just in general, but again, a guy that really there were only two scholarship offers out uh, for players that projected at his position, they get one of them. So that's that's a win win. Um, certainly, we want to see how the tight end position develops because we go from going okay, that's three guys that USC can take. They're going to get Walker Lyons, they're going to get Deuce Robinson, and uh, they're going to get uh, you know Kate Eldridge, right? Now, now all of a sudden we're like, okay, well, okay, Walker Lyons has gone to Stanford. Um, you know, Deuce Robinson is going to be out there for a little bit. USC has a lead for sure right now, but he's still going to probably take those official visits to Georgia. He might go to Alabama. Texas might get into it more because they've got Arch Manning, his relationship with him, so on and so forth. Um, you have Kate Eldridge though committed, and and you know the interesting thing is out of those out of that group. And, and again, this is sort of uh, emblematic of, of the summer and recruiting thus far in the class. He was the guy that probably people felt were going to end up at USC the least right up until, you know, what, the week of his recruitment and everything sort of changed a bit. And all of a sudden it sounded like, oh, wait, no, 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 no. He is going to go to USC after all. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind, um, not not quite a hurricane, but a whirlwind. And there's been guys that we projected and felt good at. And like I said, this is not always just projection. Sometimes it's talking to family members and kids and they tell you one thing and they do another. So right. there's certainly uh, it's been a bit interesting. And, 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 and certainly it's hard for coaches to maneuver in this era because they're just, you know, you're hearing things and you're being told things and you can only go off of that. And uh, they're having to read beyond even what they're being told, you know, Hey coach, I'm coming, I'm coming. And then, you know, kid ends up going somewhere else. And that, you know, it goes back to even Josh Connolly jr. Where we felt like, you know, it wasn't just uh USC thought or had a good feeling about it. I think they felt good about it because they were being told I'm going to USC. So this is uh, an interesting time. As we said, it's the wild, wild west of recruiting right now. Um, I don't think it's been as crazy as this is maybe probably the eighties uh, and that goes back before my time. But you know, when guys were, were getting cars and there was all this crazy stuff and it basically took the NCAA going after SMU to sort of, uh, you know, chill everybody out to some extent. Are you saying we're going to get a new SMU in 2020, <laughs> uh, the 2020s? No, no, I know because this is a point in time where, you know, there's, there's the legality to it. You know I mean? It's, it's not all under the table. It's just, you know, the, the era of uh, NLI and um, NIL, NLI, NIL. I'm going to say that different until we get, you know, years behind us here. Name, right. image, like I should just, I'll be better off if I just said name, image, likeness <laughs> instead of trying <laughs> to make the acronym because I get it confused with uh, natural letter of intent. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, there's, it, it's legal to a certain extent. You know, obviously there's gray areas that people are taking advantage of. But it's um, it's different now because 
quite frankly, the NCAA may no longer be needed in its current form. So the NCAA itself is going to have to evolve. Now, that doesn't mean that they couldn't come out of left field and all of a sudden go after somebody and say, yeah, you completely broke rules. And what you're doing is no longer within the parameters of name, image, likeness. And you've just got a bunch of boosters paying kids to go to your school. Uh, But, I I mean, this is private money. And it's, it's, you know, the NCAA's uh, regulations and enforcement has always been through the universities. So, you know, they go after USC because of what USC should have known, right? It's not, it's, it's, it's not so much the, the private end of things because they don't have subpoena power. They don't have the ability to go into people's private financial records. So, you know, from that standpoint, unless you're going to get some whistleblower that comes forth and, and that's, you know, the last two big cases that we've seen, Tennessee and ASU came from a whistleblower. You know, USC came from a whistleblower to some extent as well. That was Lloyd Lake. That was on the private end of it. You know, he felt like he didn't get whatever he wanted to get out of the situation with Reggie Bush and the sports agency he was trying to create with his stepfather. And so he went to the NCAA and 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 made a bunch of claims. And the NCAA was like, hey, man, that's great. We'd love to hear this. And, you know, they made a case out of that. Uh, but with the other programs that have, you know, been under scrutiny uh, with Tennessee and, and ASU, we have yet to hear really the notice of allegations for them. Um, it's all been because of someone within the staff has actually come forth and uh, brought information about what was going on. So that, you know, that's that's easier for the NCAA to work. It, it, it's easier for the NCAA to go through um, those avenues. But when you're talking a bunch of a bunch of boosters and donors and people that um, have you know private equity firms and real estate firms, the NCAA can't go after them. They're, there's there's really not a lot of recourse that. And, and and how you prove all that kind of stuff is it's very difficult. So you have to have coaches involved, coaches with knowledge. And nine times out of ten, one of those coaches has to be um, disgruntled and go to the NCA with some evidence for them to really get off their ass and do anything. Well, there you go, Gerard's weekly uh, NCAA rant. Only here on the Composite Two Star Recruit, and we'll definitely do another class snapshot over overlook. Uh, at where it stands uh, after August. And as we go into the season, uh, that'll be a little bit more in depth and see where USC has come since our last look and um, where they have to go and where, where things stand moving forward. Jarrah, uh, let's hit some a little bit of some newsy items in the recruiting world. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, here we go. Let's start with some of the, the uh, some wide receiver news. The first one and probably mo- most impactful one being uh, wide receiver Jerron Dickey, Jurion Dickey, uh, who has just had an incredible offseason spring summer and has really raised his uh, recruiting ranking stock. He is transferring to uh, SoCal Powerhouse, CIF Powerhouse, uh, modern day out of uh, Valley Christian in uh, East Palo Alto area, coming down from NorCal to SoCal. He is an Oregon commit. He recently had a massive bump into the top 25 of our 24-7 sports rankings. He's an official five-star prospect at uh, six foot three, 210 pounds, number 14 overall prospect, number two wide receiver in the country, number four prospect in California. He is number 50 in the 27 sports composite, number eight wide receiver in that composite. So, you know, USC's kind of been looking for a third wide receiver for this class. Uh, Brandon Innes obviously is someone that they were recruiting very hard. And he has since committed to Ohio State. Obviously, 
that's a guy you know you could maybe check in with down the line, especially if you're winning games. But you have another five-star prospect right here in your backyard at modern day. And I know we've gotten questions about, is USC recruiting Dickey? Um, and I would say, I don't know off the bat, but this is obviously something that USC is going to be able to recruit him hard if they want to. They're going to be at modern day games. They have prospects that are interested at modern day. And, you know, I would not be shocked if we saw maybe Dickey at a USC game this season. You know, they're obviously going to be recruiting guys like Brandon Baker, DeAndre Carter, asking them to come on campus. Uh, they've offered a bunch of underclassmen there. So if you got a group of modern day guys, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, Dickey is part of that group that's coming out to check out, you know, a home game against Arizona State or, you know, the Notre Dame game. So there's going to be opportunities to, if they want to, you know, reevaluate him and, and come back and maybe offer him and, and recruit him, it's going to be so much easier for them with him just being at a USC pipeline school like modern day. So that's definitely something, he's definitely a name and a prospect to keep in mind as USC moves through the fall as someone, you know, hey, we need a wide receiver. Our offense is putting up points, uh, especially if Oregon struggles to move the ball under, you know, a defensive coach like Dan Lanning. You know, it's it, that could be easy for them to come in and say, hey, look, we're putting up monster numbers with Caleb Williams. Come play with Caleb Williams for a season and five star right in their backyard. So it makes sense if they want to go ahead and go that route. I would be absolutely shocked if he didn't end up going to an unofficial visit for game at USC. I would yeah. be stunned if that didn't happen. I'm sure he's going to be on USC's campus yeah. at some point during the year, maybe sooner rather than later. Uh, USC is going to recruit him. And they really, the interesting thing is they really sort of balked on him a bit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this kind of goes towards not recruiting Northern California really well, or even really hard. You know, it's, 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 one of those things that if you don't really try to recruit it really hard, then, you know, how, how successful do you think you're going to be? So now he's in Southern California. This is not a good development for, for Oregon. Um, they certainly would rather have him up in Northern California where USC is, you know, probably not going to visit him. He's probably never going to make it down for an unofficial visit. Um, now he's going to be here locally and he's going to be around a bunch of, um, you know, USC targets that are going to be at USC. So it's going to be easy for him to get a ride up to USC. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting development. It's uh, something that, you know, had been talked about since, uh, you know, kind of early summer. Um, and so, yeah, uh, USC, you know, they, they lose out on Brandy Ninas and they lose out on uh, DeAndre Moore. This is a bigger receiver, you know, 6'3", 210. Yeah. And kind of could play off of what USC has in the class right now with Makai Lemon and Zach Branch. So you, you got a bigger guy and, and that, you know, I'm sure that Malachi Nelson is going to try to get to know uh, Dickey as much as he can and, and try to develop some type of relationship there. And so we're going to see how this how this goes on. Obviously, USC has to do their part. You know, they have to show some production on the field. But if you can do that, I mean, it, it man, talk about. <laughs> falling into your lap man right uh, it's it's uh it's it's quite frankly you know t ta cunningham the the five-star uh, defensive lineman the 2024 uh, recruit from georgia who's now at los alamitos you know that's that's a big sort of uh planets aligning sort of thing but this this might even be bigger because it's just one of those things where you you really kind of wonder what oregon's going to do on the offensive side of the ball this right. year 
Now, now listen, we also have to be fair and see that Oregon on the offensive side of the ball last couple of years has been pretty crappy. They haven't been, you know, lighting the world on fire, and yet they've still been able to land some guys at the wide receiver position. So, you know, it, it, you know, we were sitting around the last two recruiting cycles, scratching our heads going, how in the world is Oregon able to recruit receivers so well? They have nobody that they produced for the NFL draft. They have no tradition long-term at the wide receiver position, certainly not compared to USC. Uh, their scheme, even now, sort of sucks for receivers. They're trying to run the ball with Mario Cristobal, and yet they were still able to get those receivers. Troy Franklin, guys like that, that USC recruited. So, you know, again, you could sit there and look at everything and say, well, okay, this really lines up well. You know, you're going to be able to go to an unofficial visit, and USC's offense is going to look really great, and, and you're going to want to be a part of that thing. You know, who knows? Uh, again, the one thing missing from that equation for USC that Oregon had was winning. So, you know, Oregon offense didn't look great. It certainly didn't look spectacular, but they were still, you know, best of the worst in the Pac-12, right? I mean, the Pac-12 overall nationally not relevant, going to bowl games, getting smoked, but you're still the best of the worst. You're still the smartest guy at the continuation school. And that's something to be said because USC, quite frankly, was one of the dumbest guys at the continuation school at that point with Clay Helton. So it, one of those things where Damn. at least they got some W's uh, behind them. If USC is able to get those wins and on top of it, they're able to look good offensively and you're able to see what the offense looks like and how they're able to showcase the receivers. I mean, again, I think USC definitely wants to show that they can run the ball this yeah. season. I think that's a big deal for them, but naturally you're going to be able to put the ball in the air. You've got, you've got some spectacular receivers there and you're going to want to keep those guys happy. And certain Jordan, Jordan Addison, you're going to want him to leave USC, thought of as highly as he came to USC. And so that's going to mean putting the ball in the air. So, yeah, 100%. Dickey is going to see an onslaught of sorts. And uh, being local and, and being able to be recruited, yeah, it's it's going to be one that if, uh, if Oregon struggles, it's going to be a, 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 I think it's going to be a bit of a battle. Um, mm-hmm. you know, unless USC somewhere online just decides, hey, we we just think this guy is completely overrated, and we don't want to recruit him. You know, I I think they're going to be involved, and in, and that is you know a position in general that not a lot of people I think worry about. But nevertheless, um, you want those riches. You want those. Yeah, riches. man. It's it talk about you know again uh, you know a five star sort of following into your lap. And, um, you know, they're, they still are looking at other players, too. And, and that's, again, we talked about the interesting dynamic of all this in terms of hits and misses is, you know, who do you go and pivot to? And, and when you start pivoting and putting, you know, your eggs in another basket, then you see that, OK, the, the, the coaching staff probably feels they don't have a great shot at one recruiter or another. Now, this all happened before uh, Jurion Dickey transferred to modern day. But, you know, they do have Malachi Coleman coming in for an official visit in September, 6'5", 190. Um, he's uh, rated as an athlete, as a four star, but is a guy that probably plays wide receiver. Now, you know, he's from Lincoln, Nebraska. Who knows what kind of shot they have at him? But, you know, they did make that pivot a little bit away from Brandon Enos before Brandon Enos, um, you know, even was was committed publicly to Ohio State. So you kind of saw, OK, they're they're starting to go um, perhaps a little bit to a plan B of sorts. Uh, Dickey wouldn't be a plan B. It would it, it would be, you know, just a, a new plan, plan a, a you, new plan you never a. even thought of <laughs> basically developing right in front of your eyes. 
Um, so we'll see, you know, the wide receiver position, how that continues to develop, because, you know, interestingly enough, there is another scholarship offer that floated out there under the radar that USC made. Great segue. Um, Great segue. Yeah. No, that's you. That's all you. I'm not taking your segue. <laughs> well, uh, wide receiver Orlando Greenlaw uh, at a Lawndale. Uh, green, uh, green low. Green, green low. Green no, low? low. Low. Green low. Green low. Okay. On the down low, it's green low. There you go. Um, uh, he, he's 6'5", 210, a big receiver, uh, ranked as a three-star by 24-7 Sports, really more of a basketball player. Um, don't know a lot about him, but has had some scholarship offers here uh, recently. And, you know, you've got Oregon, you've got uh, Oklahoma, you've got Utah. Um, you've got a bunch of schools that have been offering him um, over the summer. And so, you know, some of his film must have got out and people, you know, starting to talk about him. Uh, he's a guy that's kind of blown up a little bit and USC is on that bandwagon now. So, you know, another big receiver. So, you know, I, I, sort of like with Dickey, um, same with Coleman, 6'5", 210, a guy that when you're looking at the grand scheme of things of the class and you're looking at that wide receiver core can play off of uh, Makai Lemon and Zachariah Branch. You know, you're not just bringing in mm-hmm. another guy that's sort of like them and USC has plenty of fast shifty receivers you know they're actually going back to what usc is kind of known for is the big receiver you know and this is a guy that with the with the basketball background you could probably sell the drake london role a little more even though it's a different offense obviously it doesn't you know that doesn't matter to coaches they're like hey man you know Keyshawn johnson you know mike williams whatever (laughs) it's the tradition that you sell and the ability of the school itself uh to embrace you know, that type of receiver, because with big receivers, they're always worried about you putting them at tight end, right? That's always, the, that's always the thing that they're just not sure about. So when you actually have a tradition where you've had those guys that other schools thought were tight ends and you play them at receiver and they're able to be as successful as they have been at USC, that sells. That's something that, you know, they all of a sudden can envision themselves at that school in that uniform much easier because they've seen, players just like them do it ahead of them and again just you know it's different offenses it's different schemes it, it really doesn't matter uh for a 17 year old kid so that's an interesting move that usc has just made very recently and again kind of under the radar low key for green low um but you know malachi coleman there and you've got green low and you've got dickie now at, at modern day uh it's kind of fun just to kind of see those options and what you know usc ends up uh, being able to cultivate from that Absolutely. And I love looking at uh, like uh, like low rated uh, prospect uh, pages and seeing it's a basketball photo. And that's just like Greenlaw, Greenlow. Now you got me saying it is a his, his photo is a basketball. So that kind of tells you like where his like start was and where he's like seeing those projections at six foot five two ten. You know, you're not going to be an NBA guy at six foot five and two ten, really. But you're going to be a good looking wide receiver at six foot five and two ten. So it makes sense to make that shift to uh, the gridiron. Looks like Utah was actually on him first. And then everyone else kind of joined back, joined on the bandwagon uh, there in, in June as well. And then, uh, you know, later this year. So, you know, Greenlow is obviously something we're going to try to get. He's up, up there at Lawndale, so not too far away from us. Obviously, the last USC signing out of Lawndale, Gerard. Uh, was that um, that was uh, Thule? There you go, Big Thule, who 
I went to see a couple of games and I, a couple of his games and I still don't really real know how he was only like a three star guy. The yeah, dude was like, I, I agree with you. I, I I thought on film I was like, you know, he's really pretty explosive, you know, for a guy that that size. And but he looked like a college dude. About at those the same like, time, little... at the okay. same time, uh, he just looked like a regular dude at the Polynesian Bowl, which was his time to shine. Because I was talking him up. I'm like, <laughs> Greg. I think we got this dude underrated a bit, you know, and he just kind of was there at the Polynesian Bowl. And it's, to be know, fair, a lot of people are just there at the Polynesian. Yeah, and that is true. You know, it's a very laid back atmosphere, <laughs> and you don't see a whole lot out of practices. Um, so that is true. But nevertheless, um, I was hoping he would, you know, kind of step up a little more. So hold that grudge. So hold that grudge. Yeah, he he just kind of was just out there and and, and enjoying uh, himself a little bit, maybe too much, but. Um, yeah, uh, that, yeah, definitely. Londell's always got, um, you know, even Losinger uh, has a uh, talent, you know? And so it's one of those things that, uh, it, it's, it's, it's getting those kids qualified and making sure that they're on track academically. Um, but, uh, they've, they've got some talent in that area. Um, we're, we're, we're usually there every year, yeah, every sure. two years, you know, we're there going to be watching somebody. For sure. Um, and then our last sort of like uh, newsy nugget is uh, defensive tackle Jordan Hall out of Florida. Uh, big, big boy. I'm talking six foot five, 300 at a, at a Jacksonville, Florida. USC is in his top 10 along with the other uh, a litany of heavy hitters. Florida State has the only crystal ball. But uh, the update being that he's going to be making a commitment uh, for National Signing Day. So a long ways away, but. At least now you know when uh, Hall and he isn't a guy who took an official visit to USC, so that sort of feels like an outside looking in. USC, I feel like they would have to win a bunch of games to really get serious in that in that recruitment. Maybe make that top five, maybe get that official visit. But that's obviously a guy they would love to have in this class. At you know consensus four star prospect number sixty one overall in our rankings, uh, top ten defensive line prospect. Uh, but USC has some work to do to get in there against some, you know, pretty big SEC teams and those Florida schools. Yeah, for sure. Um, he did have a visit scheduled for USC, and we don't really know right. what happened right. there. He, he was coming in for that June 10th weekend, and then it got canceled, and we thought, oh, well, that's just because he's going to go ahead and he's going to commit to Florida State or Florida. And he really only, I think, took one official visit during the summer, and so he's kind of pushed everything back. So we kind of take ourselves, we kind of take a step back and go, okay, well, okay. You know, maybe USC is still a school that he's looking at. Um, like you said, six, five, 300 pounds, a big boy, defensive tackle. Um, there's potential there that maybe he looks at USC again. Hasn't mentioned USC specifically as a school that he's going to visit. I think Ohio state has come up in conversation. Uh, Michigan came up in conversation previously but this is one of those ones where he's got a bunch of official visits left. And so we'll see how that shakes out during this, during the season and whether USC, you know, is at a point, you know, at the end of the year, which I, I still think USC is probably not going to jam pack their season full of visits. I think it's going to be sort of a, you know, the, the, they will do that sort of maybe progressively during the year, seeing how it goes. You know, the, the the opening game should be a good turnout for USC. I think a lot of people are excited to see Lincoln Riley. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, USC, 
you know, Southern California, they always call Missouri the show me state, right? <laughs> they should call Southern California the show me region because when it comes to sports, you got to prove it. You got to show that you're a winner. And there's just too much stuff to do. There's too many distractions, too many things going on in Southern California that if you're not winning and you're not showing that you are the hottest game in town, people are going to go to the Dodger game. People are going to go to the Laker game. People are just going to go other places. And and at this time of year, or I should say this, this, this place we're at with inflation and everything, you know, costing so much money, you know, people are pinching their, their, their pennies a little bit. And they're not just like, Hey, you know, let's just go to, you know, this weekend, three different events, you know, they're going to have to choose which event they go to if they go to any event. So you have to keep that in mind in terms of atmosphere, you know, and you don't want to bring some of these kids in, you're going to bring five, six official visitors in and you're playing, you know, some school that obviously isn't going to travel because it's the PAC 12. And then your own fan base is kind of like, eh, you know, USC started out and they're like three and one. It's like, eh, you know, it's a work in progress. <laughs> come, 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 uh, come, come let us know when, uh, you know, you, you're, you're undefeated and you're actually, you know, nationally relevant again. So, you know, the, the coaching staff has to sort of be a bit wary of that. And I think that in general, you know, unless you're going back to the Pete Carroll days has been something that the coaching staffs have been cognizant of, you know, and, and I think that was one of the reasons why they probably didn't make quite a big a deal out of the spring game as a lot of other schools did, you know, that was like the big thing, like, Oh, Ohio state, you know, 76,000 people and, and this school and that school. And, and it's like, that's just not a thing at USC. I, I mean, mm-hmm. it's nev- that's never been a thing at USC. I mean, I, even the Pete Carroll days, that wasn't really a big deal. Spring game was like, ah, it's the off season. LA sports fans are not really thinking about college football in, in March or April. They're just not. So you're never going to have a hundred thousand people at the Coliseum. You're never going to have 60,000 people, 50,000 people. I think they, what did they say? They had almost 40,000 people this past year. Yeah. That's, that's, that's actually a lot. So I think during the season, you have to sort of see how it goes, build that momentum. And if you got a nice game coming up uh, against a team that maybe is also surprising some people and you know, that that's the season, right? That's how it happens. That, we're all projecting, oh, this team's going to be this and this team's going to be that. Of course, that's how it's going to happen. That's how it's going to be, you know. You know, the, the UCLA is going to be the best team in the South and blah, 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 blah. And everybody's got all these uh, pontificate about how the season's going to go. But in reality, we don't know. That's why we play the games. And you get into a situation where maybe you're, you know, five, six games in the season and you're undefeated and all of a sudden you play a team that's actually all of a sudden jumped into the top 25. It's like, hey, this is a great opportunity to bring in such and such, you know, we can bring them in on this visit and the atmosphere is going to be good. The the on-campus atmosphere is going to be good. And then you have something to sell. And that's particularly important when you're talking about back East kids that are going to games in the SEC where, you know, a team could be a four-win team and they're still going to have 76,000 people there because that's just how it is, right? And that's, again, kind of going back to Rich Eisen's uh, sort of diatribe on get ready Pac-12 fans or uh, it wasn't really Pac-12 fans. It was <laughs> UCLA and USC fans. Yeah. They're coming. They're com- they will fill your stadiums if you don't. Okay. The Iowans and the Ohioans and <laughs> Nebraskans. Nebraskans and the people from Michigan. And, and they will fill your stadium. They will have a whiteout at UCLA if you don't buy those tickets and you don't show up for your own home games. So that's biggest- going to be an interesting dynamic that, you know, we have to kind of see how that goes. Uh, you know, obviously in a couple of years when uh, USC becomes part of the big national conference. The 
the thing that Ryan mentioned on the Parasol podcast and that was brought up at Big Ten Media Days that the biggest Big Ten alumni base outside of the Midwest is in Los Angeles. So there are fans of the schools that are going to be playing living right here in Los Angeles, and they are going to show up. So let that be a warning and a, a an alert for USC fans. You got you to pack the Coliseum, uh, especially this year, next year, and especially when, when the Big Ten comes to town. So, uh, Gerard, we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to talk about a under the underclassmen kind of recruiting barbecue that's going on this weekend at USC. And then we got a couple questions to deal with. Sound good? That sounds groovy. And, I, and I'm giving you 100 points for using the word pontificate. So do it, do it what you want with those 100 points. Well, I'm going to pass my SAT now. So there you go. Okay, there you go. So we'll be right back after this quick break. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Gerard, how was that break? I'm still thinking about passing my SAT, like as if it was pass or fail. Do you want to share what you got on your SAT? I'll I'll bleep it. No. No, not especially. (laughs) You know, honestly, I don't. Remember? I, I, I vaguely remember, but. It was. It's a different point system now, isn't it? Like right. twenty four hundred. Twenty four hundred. Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't. It wasn't that when. Uh, so no, I don't want to say because it's going to sound bad. Were you, were you a? Uh, I was very, good though. I had good test scores. That's how I was able. I was going to say, were you a good test taker? I was very good test taker. Okay, yeah. There you go. I, I mean, I I definitely prepared. I wasn't the guy that showed up and I could just guess or whatever. But yeah, no, no, I I was I was good at tests. I was, you have I mean, a, I did at public speaking and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. That stuff was always like an adrenaline rush for me. Like, oh, yeah, man, I got this philosophy test and I got a blue book test. Awesome. It's going to be, you know, eight pages. That's, you know, I don't know. I was weird like that. You liked blue book tests? What a, you're a little I bit did of, because a, I little, you're a, little bit of a weirdo. My answer. I could always, I, I never felt oh, like. Oh, okay. That, okay. That makes sense. But yeah, you should I never honestly. Felt like, they, if you don't know, if you, if out of multiple choice, if you don't know the answer, then you're just guessing and you're probably screwed, you know. But if you're in blue book. And it's something like philosophy or history or what have you, you know, you can kind of sort of get some points here and there. I, I remember once that I had a math test. This is completely out of left field, but yeah, I, had, it, it, I opened the door. It's, it's, it's on me. I opened the door. So go <laughs> ahead. It's, it's totally like not even relevant, but I just, it reminded me of a math test that I had to take, uh, which was, um, was it, it wasn't statistics. It was, it was in college. And we had this really nice professor 
and I was I had an A plus in the class. And I was like, I did extra credit and all the stuff that we were able to do. And um, at some point we had someone from the department come and evaluate like one of his classes. And all of a sudden there was this, just this big ruckus that we were too far behind in the book. And, um, and then it came to light that like the, the professor had Parkinson's disease. And then just one day he just didn't show up. It was like, oh, it's Parkinson's disease, you know, it was, we're acting up and blah, blah, blah. And this guy who had evaluated the class took over and he was the biggest douchebag that I've ever had as a teacher. <laughs> this guy was a grade A asshole. And he used to tell everybody it's, it, it's, you know, it's not how hard you try. It's what, you know, blah, 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 which is fine. But I actually had, uh, I mean, everybody's every, like the whole class just ended up, you just like every week, you just see people less and less people in the class. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and we end up at the end of the class with like, I don't know, eight people in the class. And he's bragging about how it's another class. Uh, everybody's dropped out, you know, like, oh, yeah, everybody dropped out of my other class. And, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, that's that doesn't reflect well on you as a teacher, man. <laughs> like, what are right. you bragging about? And we had one of our last tests and I got the answer right, but I didn't show enough work. And he actually took out of 10 points, seven points away. Because I did, because I knew the answer. I went through it and I just jotted down, and I was like, "Oh, no, 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 okay, yeah, yeah." That's so you got it right, deserved ten points, but he took away seven points. You only got three points. I could see taking, I could see taking away one point or two points. He took away seven points out of ten because I didn't show all of my work. Like I, I, like I would have been heated. Some, it was some BS fraction, some I don't know, it was something with like invisible numbers or something weird. And it was like, I went through it and I just saw, it was like a, I can't remember, it was a diagram or something. And I just was like, oh, no, 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 this would be this. And I, and I did it and I, yeah. And so yeah, anytime I, rem- I think about, you know, getting points uh, for like tests and stuff, like you said, you're going to give me a uh, hundred points for yeah. a pontificate. I, that immediately flashed into my head. Has wow. nothing to do with recruiting. Trigger, but, triggered. Yeah, triggered. I got triggered. It's my, oh, it's yeah. my quote unquote vacation. So I get to be triggered. Do you remember his name? Um, Mr. Something. That's right. It was Mike Brown. It was like a real sort of very common name. He had a, he had a beard and he had some other weird stuff about him too that, you know, I, I, I was like, I tried, man. I came like before class and after class. We literally went warp speed to get to the, to the back of the book. Like that was all he was concerned about. Like, we're just going to, we'd stay after. And again, he's why he kept saying, you know, it doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter that you're staying two hours after class to, to learn this stuff. Um, you know, too bad for you. You know, you just, you didn't get it right. And it, again, I was like, dude, you're a bad teacher. Like if you can't <laughs> get this information to your, it's not about like what, you know, like you could be the smartest guy in the world. Being a teacher is about being able to help others learn what, you know, and, you know, everybody has those instances, I think, throughout school where uh, and, and that goes back. I mean, wrap it around to football. That's what makes a good coach. You know, you could be. And I think this was like a criticism that I would have of Lane Kiffin, maybe early on in his career, because people get the wrong idea about Lane. They think he was a silver spoon kid and he just got all of his um, his his promotions because, you know, he was Monty's son. Now, look, I'm sure being Monty's son helped him, certainly helped him have connections and, and it helped him with Pete Carroll. That's how Pete Carroll knew about him. But nevertheless, Lane knows his stuff. Like I've been around Lane enough talking football and X's and O's. He knows his stuff. But I think at one point in his career, he knew his stuff, but he didn't always know how to get what was in his brain 
into the brains of his players. And that's true. You know, John Morton was another guy that was an office coordinator at USC for a while. God, the coaches sometimes on the staff were a little bit like, eh, uh, what do you mean? You know, like you have to teach the other coaches on the staff as well. If you're off to coordinator and you're coming in to run a scheme, um, you, you, you have to you have to be able to communicate. And that's the biggest thing as a coach. And so um, that's that's something that uh, I learned from school, you know, with with football and coaching and sort of like, you know, remembering those instances where I had teachers that were smart guys, definitely smart guys. They knew their stuff. But dude, you could sit there and whiz, be a whiz on the on the whiteboard all day long and, and write all this stuff down. But like if it's Chinese to us and we don't speak Mandarin, then, you know, this it doesn't matter. You're a bad teacher. Wow, I see what you did there. Uh, you set that all up for your Mandarin joke after the that break. That was it! Very, wow, well <laughs> done. Well I done. I, I'll give you an applause for that. That was well done. You caught me slipping. Caught me slipping. It was all about the break, and it was all about It was about all about me. the break. Well Very done. He got me. He got me. What dialect? And with that, we, we come to our final little uh, information block for this podcast, and that is USC is hosting – a recruiting event this weekend, sort of on the low, didn't really have a lot of uh, pub out there, but there is a, a July sort of barbecue kind of pool party things. I assume it's similar to what uh, Lincoln and his staff would do out there at Oklahoma. Uh, I don't know if they'd be called Golden Hour 2 or something like that, or it's just a generic barbecue. Um, so I'm sure we're going to see a lot of uh, photos and come out this weekend from uh, kids on campus, but they're they're cycling a bunch of visitors uh, over this weekend, and, and even today, you know, Malachi Crawford, the four-star Oxnard uh, 2023 cornerback, defensive back, he's on campus today. Uh, we're trying to get more lists of who's going to be there, but, you know, four-star Mil- uh, Milliken wide receiver Jordan Anderson, who picked up a USC, a USC re-offer this summer, he's going to be up there this weekend. Payne Woodyard, who has been to campus at least closing in on close to half a dozen times uh, this offseason, four-star Bosco, St. John Bosco uh, safety. He will be on campus. He is a big local target. Uh, Brian Jackson, a four-star running back out of Texas. He's making the trip out here to uh, check out USC. You know, this would be a great opportunity to get a guy like uh, T.A. Cunningham, uh, the uh, five-star number one defensive Lineman in the 2024 class who we mentioned earlier in the show who transferred from Georgia on the state of Georgia out here to Los Al Los Alamitos. That's obviously a guy who could easily be on campus this weekend as an underclassman. And, you know, chances are Malachi Nelson and Makai Lemon, they could be up there uh, to help uh, host some people, sell some people, some of these uh, 2024 prospects. So expecting a lot of talent to be on campus this weekend. Uh, so we'll work to get a, a full list or more more names that are out there. You know, something you could check for in the war room uh, for this Friday. But yeah, Gerard, another recruiting event going on this weekend. Yeah, this is uh, my week off, so I I don't know anything <laughs> it's about all, it's it. It's all on me. It's all on out of the loop when it comes. To this. this is something that USC has actually had um, the past two years, and it's usually a small underclassman event. It's really yeah. uh, slated for underclassmen and. I mean, I think the last couple years, it's like literally been about a dozen recruits. I think they invited about 20 or so, and it tends to be like, you know, between like 12 and 15 guys. So it's usually a very small it's, thing. It's usually right out there in front of Heritage Hall in that field. They have some tents and tables set up for, for barbecue for the family seat. That's usually where, it, where it's, where it's uh, held, typically. 
yeah, I don't know if there was any actual like the pool was involved at all in the past. I mean, maybe that's something that they do this year that's new. I mean, everybody knows about Texas A&M's quote unquote pool party and how that was such a big hit for them last year. But that really involved more of the current class, you know, the the 22 cycle. That was big for them, and they're bringing in a bunch of guys for 23 uh, this year. So this weird sort of there's this little gap in the dead period here um, that you can bring kids in. I don't even know why it exists to be perfectly honest with you. You figure, you know, like coaches at this point want to just focus on preparing for fall camp. They want, they don't want to have to bring in, you know, a bunch of kids and, and entertain a bunch of kids uh, for a small weekend, but nevertheless, you know, Hey, this is the NCAA. Nevertheless, idea. this is the NCAA's idea of, um, you know, things being organized. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, we'll, we'll see if, you know, any commitments come from, uh, you know, some of the early classes, you know, it's going to be like 25 guys, uh, the 24 class, they'll have even some, some guys from 2026. Um, I don't know that TA Cunningham is actually going to be there. Um, I'm not sure. I know he's not really totally officially in town until August. Um, but, uh, we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, again, out of the underclassmen, if, uh, there's a there's a there's a big turnout or it's kind of a hit and miss type of thing. It's 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 one of those things. It's kind of late in the year. Um, sometimes it's just hard to get kids, pull them away from their high school teams because I mean, it's not just the colleges they're focusing on fall camp. I mean, the high schools are are going to be in fall camp here too, and um, they're they're you know full go. So you know it's not like you you're going to just you know take a lot of time to be able to go up uh, to campus. It seems like it's successful. In Texas and maybe some other places, but it isn't necessarily something that's been embraced um, nationwide of, of yet. And, and like I said, USC's done it, you know, the past two years. This is not like a new event for them. Right. And I would consider it a big win uh, for USC if they're able to get some guys that, you know, some of those modern day kids up there, you know, Brandon Baker, DeAndre Carter. Those are two guys that are priorities in that 2024 class. And they've been to campus multiple times. So I would consider it a big win. They were able to get, you know, a couple of those uh, monarch offensive tackles, offensive linemen on campus for this event. So we'll, we'll try to see what, what's going on there and see who's who's going to show up uh, to this barbecue. I hope there's good ribs. Trout, I know you're a big rib guy. Yeah, or you could go a different direction. And, um, Carne asada? Yeah, you, you never know. Um, it'll be uh, interesting to see which way they go there. You know, they had a luau for the big recruiting weekend. Um, you know, you could go with... Uh, you know, Mexican food, you could go with, you could go with a lot of, it's Southern California, you know, and, and barbecue is actually probably the one thing that we probably don't have a lot of great barbecue places here. We have, you know, a few places that are pretty good, but um, it's, uh, it's probably easier to find good barbecue in Oklahoma than it is in Southern California. They got some Texas boys on their staff. I'm sure they can figure out a way to get that grill going. Uh, and that ends that the, you know, the sort of the non- the newsy part of our show as we move into some listener questions. Draw, we don't have a lot, so this this should be fast. I say that knowing I'm probably jinxing, jinxing myself. Well, let me let me let me sink in here. Okay. Uh, focus on, get the blinders on. Right. And we'll tear through this to make this the shortest podcast we've ever had. I don't know if that's 
possible at this point. But I yeah, I don't know if that's possible. Uh, we're gonna see. This is your vacation, so I don't want to put a lot on you. This is just a little bit. You know, this is a shorter one. You know, we had to talk about Micah, but I want to give the fans something. So, and I, but I do want to give you your rest. So don't want to take you too long. Get that rest in. Uh, do you want to start with a comment or a question first? Because we have one comment that's not even a question. Like let's, I said, let's do this. Let's have a question, a comment, and then another and question. question. Oh, there you go. That's why you're Hurricane. You always have the answers. Uh, this one comes from D from Central California, who who asks us a lot of questions on this podcast. And just a reminder: if you want to ask us a podcast, a recruiting question, email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite, two-star recruits, 10K, Hurricane, uh, those Latino guys, cilantro boys, even though Dry doesn't like that one. Uh, whatever you want, just address it to us. That's podcast at uscfootball.com. You can also DM me. Do not DM Gerard because he will not get back to you. Now back to Dee's question from the Central Valley. USC is having a recruiting event this weekend. Seems like it's mostly for 2024 players. In the past, Coach Riley would get commitments from these events. Do you think USC is a good shot of getting some 2024 commitments? Also, what do you guys think of 2023 athlete Nicholas Fernandez? He's also visiting. Kind of hoping he gets offered. Thanks for your great information. Well, let's We don't know a lot about Nick Fernandez. I mean, this is potentially a pivot away from Walker Lyons who committed to right. Stanford. So, you know, is 6'4", 6'5", 250-pound um, tight end out of San Pedro. Plays Again, a lot of positions. Yeah. Plays and, tight and, end, uh, offensive line possibly some schools are looking at him, defensive tackle, just a guy who plays all over the field. So, yeah, a, a guy that I think, I mean, from a rating standpoint, um, potentially that guy that ends up playing that position. Um, we don't know, though, and we don't just don't know a lot about him. So it's a big body that USC is looking at and entertaining. Um, and like I said, I, I think it kind of when I saw that, I thought, OK, Walker Lyons, you know, that's that was my immediate uh, thought on that. And, and we'll see, I guess, uh, how that goes. I think uh, Greg Biggins just had a, an update um, on him on the site. Uh, in terms of his recruitment with USC. And I think I think he's actually being recruited by uh, Sean Nua. Yes. So, you know, potentially, you know, may, maybe like you said, he plays a lot of position. Maybe he's a defensive guy. Um, I don't know. But that was the first thing that I thought uh, at face value, um, seeing that Walker Lyons has kind of moved on. Not to say that, you know, that tight end position, like they, the thing is, they didn't, they don't really need three tight ends and they weren't going to get three tight ends either because Walker Lyons isn't really going to enroll until 2024 at the earliest. So that position, it, it had three guys that USC looked like they were, you know, really close to being able to get. Uh, Kate Eldridge, you know, we've talked about already. He's, he's another athlete, but he projects as being a tight end. Um, Deuce Robinson, who, who projects um, obviously as a tight end, um, but potentially could play baseball. So we're kind of waiting to see how that develops. We might have a better idea of what kind of prospect he is for baseball, you know, as we get into like September, October. Um, and then it was Walker Lyons, who was, who was the one guy that you were kind of like, OK, we sort of knew the situation with him um, up front, but he wasn't going to be available for 2023. So we'll see what happens. 
with uh, with Fernandez. Um, you know, he's he's not being. I don't think there was anything mentioned about Zach Henson in his. Uh, I do not believe article. so. So yeah, I mean, maybe you know he's not looked at as a tight end, but you already have. Um, you know, Grant uh, Bucky committed at uh, defensive line, who's sort of like got a similar build right now. Um, you know, I don't know that uh, defensive line would necessarily be the place that they would they would go after him. But, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see how, how it shakes out. He doesn't have a scholarship yet from USC. Um, so I think it's just one of those things where they want to get him on campus, get an eyeball on him, talk to him. And, uh, and maybe it's just sort of a platform for them recruiting him going forward. Um, you know, looking at uh, various different positions. And in terms of the 2024 recruiting event, I am personally not expecting a 2024 commitment out of this weekend, but I would not be shocked. It's also something I'll say. I would not be shocked if there was a 2024 commitment because, yes, Coach Riley and his staff have done well at these sort of barbecue type things. Uh but I wouldn't go in expecting like a commitment from like Brandon Baker or DeAndre Carter, some higher end guys. I could see a commitment coming out of it, but I'm not going in to this weekend with a you know sort of a gut feeling like oh they're going to rack up some some commits uh, this weekend, Jordan. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, I don't know. Um, they they have it in the past. It hasn't been like some big you know yeah. recruiting push weekend. Um, but nevertheless, um, you know Oklahoma they did they were a little more aggressive. But certainly kind of a different point in the program where, you know, they had a lot of success and were going to the college football playoff where, you know, USC, you're trying to kind of turn it around. You're trying to get the program back to being at that trajectory. And, and so we'll kind of see, I think, more aggressiveness. And, and again, you know, we talked about the big recruiting weekend and whether that's the right strategy to have and bring all these kids in at once. You know, you, you have to also come away from this season and you may be at a completely different place, you know, in terms of your recruiting, you've been here a year. If you have success in the field, let's say you go to a Rose Bowl and you win the Rose Bowl your first year as Lincoln Riley. Now, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't expect that. I'm not predicting that. <laughs> but it's but possible. Lincoln Riley is definitely talking like that's, you know, something that he's looking forward to. And so if you're able to do something at that level, then going into the summer, it's it's a completely different feel, you know, and, and you may be able to have a big recruiting weekend and have a bunch of guys commit right on that weekend. You know, it's it's this this year, and I talked about it when we went in to the summer. I said this, some of these kids, they're just they're working on faith here to try to get them to commit. You know, Tackett Curtis has faith in the coaching staff, them turning around USC football. Because he hasn't seen anything on the field yet. He hasn't seen him coach at all yet. All right. He hasn't seen any player development yet. And that's a big deal for a lot of these players. I mean, that was a big deal for Trey Wilson. Trey Wilson committed to Baylor. He was he was locked in for USC. Okay. I can say that with all the confidence in the world, but there was one thing that was eating away at him, and it was the fact that Oklahoma did not have, in his eyes, great player development. And they didn't have great defenses. And it was a real mixed bag terms of their performances in big games and he kind of wondered that when he's got Dave Aranda talking to him who's obviously been a guy who's been a bit of a guru on the defensive side of the ball so again they're putting faith into hey you know what don't worry about that things are going to work out USC's going to be great again so you know that 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 if that happens and you actually see that turn and you see those wins 
Then coming into next summer, 2023, you know, you might have a completely different approach or you may have the same approach and completely different results. Absolutely. Now let's get to our comments, which Gerard, I'm just going to let you react to if you want to react. This comes from someone named Chris. It came in our inbox. So I'm just going to read it as is. Let's see what happens. Let's have a warm summer Brisa de Veron Trevino and Hablaba Rapido rapper Gerard Geraldo Martinez on a field trip scouting the state of football in Mexico. Prep might begin with interviewing Isaac Al. Alcorn Garcia and maybe throw in Selma Hayek for her cultural take. Like my coach used to say, go big or go home. The fact that I went home is neither here nor there. That That's it? That's it. I'm done. I don't. <laughs> well, you lost all. See, now, now, now I have no worries about being called cilantro boys, oregano boys. After you, the way you read that. You lost all your cred, senor, so we're good now. We don't have to worry about that. It's it's going to be the Anglo boys. Why, why do I get the feeling that you wrote this knowing <laughs> I would read it? You're a mad scientist, Gerard. Mad uh, scientist. No, no, no. There's no, there's no self-sabotage, okay? Never take sides against the family, but nevertheless. The familia. I have no idea what the heck you said, and, I, you, and that was obviously not a question, I guess. Do you want to go to a scouting trip to Florida, or Florida, Mexico? Well, is 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 that where Trevino Tech is located, or? I mean, it's right on the border. We're close. <laughs> We're close. We're so close, but definitely on the wider side. It's the, the exactly, yeah. You're more on the El Paso side for sure. Like that. Look, we needed that funding, baby. We needed that. Yeah. Funding. Well, you know, hey, you 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 know, you've got some roots in San Antonio. In San Antonio, the Mexicans say y'all, which yeah. if you're not used to that and you're from Southern California, that will that will definitely turn your head. You're like, what, y'all? <laughs> Little Mexican uh, girl comes up, you know, waiting tables, and she goes, "How y'all doing?" It's like, what? So, uh, anyways, um. Uh, moving on, I don't. I don't. Uh, just <laughs> I don't a quick, know where to go just, there. just a quick aside. Uh, during the during the the winter, I learned that on my father's side, I had a great. It was my it was my uh, my grandmother's brother. So I guess my great uncle is that it? Yeah. No. Yeah, I think so. I think it, so. Okay. Could be a god, god uncle. You never know. Something like that. It was my grandmother's uh, brother, my abuela's uh, brother. Uh, he was actually a football star, like American football star in Mexico. And they showed me pictures of him in his in his outfit or his outfit, his uniform. They would play <laughs> at the local college, and they would get packed. The stands they have from the photo. So he was like a I don't know exactly what position he played, but I believe he was like a halfback. Um, but yeah. So I have a, a Mexican football star in my uh, my gene pool. So that's sort of like an aside to the comment. Yeah. Four-star All-Mexican. Four-star All-Mexican. I wonder if he was a two-star prospect in the Mexican 247 rankings. I wonder. Uh, and let's move on to our final question from Eric in Duck Country, who always asks us, asks us questions. Uh, Chris and Hurricane. Last podcast, you were talking about four-star recruits 
who could be five-star recruits in certain systems. Given what you know about Riley's and Grinch's systems, are there any three- or four-star recruits you could see being five-star recruits because of how they fit in the system? Thanks. Wow, that's a good question. Um, that is a good question. You know, um, Earl Barquette, actually, I know this is, he's not a, a, a recruit. You know, he's right, at right. USC, signed USC, transferred uh, from TCU. But that was like one of the first guys that I looked at that I thought, you know, this is a guy that maybe in that system at TCU is a, is a, is a good player, um, was a, like a three-star coming out of high school. But you see how active he is as a defensive lineman. And in that system that USC has with Alex Grinch, they shift and they pull and they twist and they stunt their defensive linemen so much that I think that's like something that, you know, really works to his advantage. So, you know, in some systems, perhaps he wouldn't be looked at, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a high end type guy, but I think, and we didn't really get to see a whole lot of him this spring either. I was kind of disappointed because that was one of the players I thought, okay, you know, I think he can be a guy for USC. We didn't really get to see a whole lot from him this spring. It'll be interesting to see if he ends up being a guy, if, if that read that evaluation on him as a player, um, you know, really sort of like it, it, it just helps him. It, it bolsters his talent, you know, his ability, the yeah. things that he can do. That's a guy that sort of stood out to me um, from a scheme standpoint, because I think that's really where USC scheme is probably the most unique um, is, is on the defensive line and sort of how they do things offensively. It's sort of an RPO. Um, I don't know if there's any guys that are, you know, like three-star guys that USC is recruiting that it, it makes them so much better. Um, you know, obviously they got the, the, you know, Zach Branch is a five-star. So it's like, well, you know, that, you know, he's going to be, he's going to do well in that offense. But I mean, maybe a guy like Kate Eldridge, just because the scheme puts a lot on that tight end position and that H back position and Kate Eldridge being sort of an athlete, you know, borderline six foot five, two thirty-five. that could be a guy down the line who is a major, major weapon in the, the PAC 12 slash big 10 in the future. So, I mean, that's not like the best option I have, but just just because he is a three star prospect and the tight end position is so valuable in Riley's schemes, that could be a guy who could rack up a lot of catches, a lot of a lot of yards, and a lot of touchdowns in the future. Yeah, that's that's. A, I, mean, I think we talked about that, you know, yeah. even before he commit. You know, that he really is 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 a sort of an interesting, intriguing prospect because the guy plays running back in high school, like he's, he's an athlete, thirty five he legitimately plays running back and, and, you know, I mean, Tackett Curtis plays some, a little bit of running back. It's mostly like wildcat quarterback. Um, we saw, you know, Carson Tabarachi, he plays, uh, played a lot of running back in, in high school. So a very skilled player um, playing linebacker, but Kate Eldridge is like, that's kind of his position. <laughs> so yeah, you look at him maybe being able to play more of an H back position and, and, and with the hands and the height and everything, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a guy that um, sort of a specialized position for a, a very special athlete, you know, that does things that I think I think it's just with him in terms of his rating. It's clearly about the, the competition he's playing against. Yeah. He's playing up there in Washington. Um, I think, you know, Huff really likes him, but it's hard to pound the table for a guy that's a 6'4", 235 pound running back playing against, you know, small ball competition. 
because everybody's going to look at it and go, okay, he's not going to play. He's not going to be a tailback in college. And he's not, he's going to play against the higher level competition that he would never be able to play that position again. So it's really hard to sort of project him, I think. And, and people are projecting him basically as a tight end. Um, but with USC, like you said, that's a, that's a position where it's sort of tight end, but you see that position sort of wham block a lot. You see a lot of mic blocks out of that position where, you know, you could become more of a lead blocker. Um, some weird sort of pistol formations that USC could use uh, with a guy like that. So, yeah, no, I think that that's a, a, a good point. Uh, one of those guys that's committed in the class uh, where um, you may get a little more out of him than the next team uh, that would recruit him just as a basic tight end, you know, just as a basic, like, Hey, you know what, you know, we're going to put you in line and you're going to go run routes and you're going to run against linebackers here. There's a little bit of a nuance, a little bit of a, um, a, a schism in um, that, that, that RPO that, that, that I think Lincoln Riley uses, you've seen it out of uh, Ohio state as well. They, they do it as they do it very well. Uh, it's really kind of an urban Meyer thing where you're using that H back and you're using him in motion a lot, either to just read how the defense reacts, you know, with motion, that's a lot of sort of seeing what man, what kind of coverage you're going to get and what have you seeing, um, you know, the heavy side of the formation from the light side of the formation, you know, I, I mean, Another guy that that has done this in a different way and, and did it really well, uh, more so in the past, was Chip Kelly. You know where he used to have those unbalanced lines, where he'd put you know two offensive tackles, or he'd put an extra lineman. And there was a there was a year there where I mean USC, um, and I think that was that 2012 year uh, where Monty Kiffin was the uh, the defensive coordinator, and they just didn't adjust to it at all, and they kept trying to defend Oregon. And they were and they were like they're getting just outmanned on on one side of the field or the other. You know, they were just getting completely outmanned because they weren't adjusting to the unbalanced line. So um, a lot of that stuff, you know, from a from a schematic standpoint, it's a it's a newer thing that that teams use. But it's a nice wrinkle when you have a player there um, that is comfortable from a skill set standpoint to either catch the ball, maybe even run the ball occasionally. Like it's it's a low key thing. Screen passes are seen. Um, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma from that position runs some screen passes uh, to that H back position, which we don't see very much from USC. We haven't seen in the past where they've run uh, really screen passes successfully in general. Um, I mean, actually even going back, shoot, going back to Pete Carroll, they had, you would think with Reggie Bush, they would be an amazing screen team, but they really weren't, you know, they had some success here and there. I remember they ran a really nice screen pass against Virginia tech uh, with Reggie Bush. But gosh, they had so many issues running screen passes um, for so many years. And uh, I don't know if they've ever really been a great screen team, which is interesting considering that, you know, teams would want to blitz USC uh, with the amount of talent that they have and try to schematically do different things. I think when it came to Graham Harrell and it came with Clay Helton, that was just an easy read. Everybody figured out what they needed to do against USC after BYU beat them. Um, That was, you know, just sit back and eight. And just run cover, just run his own coverage, and you're not going to have any problems with that offense. And that's basically what happened. Um, but um, yeah, there's some definite nuances uh, and wrinkles that you can use with that H back position. And I think Kate Eldridge is like a perfect guy for that position as a three star. Um, other than that, I would say, you know, kind of looking at the defensive line and the defensive linemen and guys that are that are smaller, uh, but quick and athletic. Those are guys within that scheme that Alex Grinch, at least what he ran at Washington was really successful uh, with, with guys that were, were undersized. So again, I, 
I mean, I'm kind of looking more at the roster now than I am anybody specifically that they're recruiting that's a three-star. And I mean, he's solo. Right. Julia yeah. Alapupu. Yeah. That's a guy that's, you know, trying to get to about 270 from what I understand, um, which is not huge, but still, you know, they don't have a ton of 300 pounders on that defensive line. So they're going to have to do something to maybe get off those blocks. And maybe it's just a matter of shifting and stunting, uh, which we have not seen at USC. We haven't seen a lot of, um, a lot of uh, gaming on the defensive line. You know, we've seen, some weird three, four hybrid uh, two gap stuff, which I just think is horrible for USC in terms of the athletes they recruit. Um, and we've seen some one gap stuff and we've seen some success for some players. You know, I think the three technique, if you can have a three technique, that's a, a really good pass rusher at USC. And again, I think, you know, I'm looking at Tuli, Tuli uh, Polotu as just being that guy instead of having him, you know, stand up at the, at the outside five technique or do any kind of stuff like that, just put him at that three technique and let him be a monster at three technique and give yourself a consistent pass rush from the three technique and then build around that. I think that's what USC has to do. They didn't do it in the spring game. I was a little disappointed in that sort of a Drake Jackson sort of like, are you really going to put him at outside linebacker? Well, they do a little bit of that with Thule and they put him not at that position, but across. And it's like Nick Figueroa sort of position. It's like, uh-uh. I shake my head, put him at three technique, let him be a boss, and then build around that. Now you got guys like Eric Gentry. You've got some, some players out there on the edge. Corey Foreman, let them play the edge. Let them do their thing. You know, hopefully Brandy Peely can stay healthy and you can have him at a zero technique. And, um, and that will help your defensive line tremendously. Um, and, and then maybe you don't have to actually – you know, do as many stunts and what have you. Um, but we know that Alex Grinch is very comfortable with that. So guys that are under undersized, uh, like, you know, a Barquette, who, who now is not as undersized, but still a very mobile defensive lineman, and guys like Solo, uh, who are, you know, coming down from that linebacker position and now playing defensive line, where it's athleticism and mobility that's really their strength more than it is just, you know, size and power. Great question, Eric, in Duck Country. It would have been better if you asked what two-star recruits would be five-star recruits in certain systems because as two, a, a combined two-star recruit on this podcast, we make it a five-star five star show, Gerard. No? Okay. No? No? Didn't, that's, didn't that's, that's why I got seven t- points taken off on the, my math question. There you go. There you go. That's why I got like s- that. <laughs> you need an extra blue book to explain to explain yourself <laughs> and with that uh that's another episode of the two-star podcast gerard thanks for joining me on what is supposed to be your step back week uh from uscpo.com uh again you can check back for us uh recapping uh this weekend's recruiting visit for underclassmen i'm sure there'll be other newsy things that come up well, Pac-12 and Media Day is coming up. And, Pac-12 Media you know, Day is also coming up. We have up this like little that. thing on just, just over the horizon called the football season that's coming up. So, you know, we're going to transition here, and it's going to be, you know, about football real quick. Um, and this is, you know, this is the next phase of the recruiting process. It's, it's not so much about recruiting as it is showing your development on the field. And you got to get those dubs, man, really like November into December. And then we kind of see if, um, you know, they're able to do something with uh, a great season. It's sort of, you know, the wind the, the that they're back uh, get, uh, you know, nine, ten wins, I think. And with that, this episode comes to a close. I'm Chris. That's Gerard. And thank you for listening to Quad Two Star Recruits. And we will see you next time. That leopard sucks!
of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!